Be ready for everything and anything. Every good player has the ability to slow the game down. It doesn't matter what just happened, it's what you're gonna do next. Donut three! One, two, three, zone! This episode is brought to you by Smushball, the official training ball of Zone Sports Academy. How many times do you go to a game and there's no batting cages, no nets, and you only have a field to hit into? No problem. Smush balls are excellent because you can use them for hitting, fielding, catching, blocking, throwing, and much more. Smush balls are the perfect practice ball to use indoors or outdoors, in rain or cold conditions, against fences, nets, and even in basements. We love them for all ages and skill levels. Smush balls, the pliable ball that you can count on. Welcome to the Get Zoned In podcast for coaches looking to improve their skills and knowledge both on and off the field. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, this podcast is for you. We'll be exploring a variety of topics that are relevant and important to baseball and softball coaches, but this advice can be used for all sports and skill levels. Join us as we dive into the world of coaching and learn from some of the best in the business. Whether you're looking to improve your team's performance or just want to make a positive impact on your players, we've got you covered. Let's go and let's play ball. Hello everyone, Duke Baxter here with Steve Nickerack and we're excited for another episode of the Get Zoned In podcast. Last week's episode, we spoke about different ways to communicate with players, ways to communicate with parents, and ways to communicate with your fellow coaches. Today we're going to dive into youth baseball. Coach Steve, what topics are we going to be discussing today? Yes, guys, fired up for today. We have a very special guest with us here today. Josiah McBride. He's one of our zone coaches. He's been here with us for two years this week, which is which is really exciting. He's also the head coach of our 13U Zone Redhawks and someone that is always looking to develop as a coach. He's grown tremendously over the last two years, not just in knowledge of the game, but coaching different age groups, handling different personalities, slumps, parenting issues, and is someone that's always looking to improve all around as a coach. He brings up different questions, brings new ideas to the table, and he always loves being part of our coaches' clinics. This is something I think all of us as coaches can and should look to do when developing each season. For today, Coach Desai has brought several really good questions to us. As I mentioned, he's our 13U coach. A tough year for a lot of ball players with that transition to the bigger field. So let's dive right in. Coach Josiah, thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, the first couple questions I have for you guys. First thing that I've been noticing that has been really tough for a lot of guys on my team is Steve. How do you help a pitcher that keeps on throwing a lot of strikes, getting a lot of ground balls, pop-ups, etc., but the defense keeps on letting him down with errors? He feels like he has to kind of strike out every single hitter, and in the process overthrows and, and is also walking a lot of guys. I mean, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm glad you asked because I actually just had that conversation with with one of my softball players the other night. She's a, she's a really good pitcher. Um, she's used to playing really competitive travel ball, and her high school team isn't as good, which is okay. And we see that a lot around the, the travel ball into then, you know, the, the high school season. And, and she's getting frustrated and, um, you know, not, not picking on her teammates, not getting angry towards them, but just discouraged. And, and you can see it. I'm sure she's, she's showing it on the field because she's showing it when she's communicating it to me in our lessons. You know, and I think it starts with body language. Your body language is key as the pitcher. Right, your team's counting on you. Your, your your defense is out there doing what they can to pick you up and 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 help you succeed. And errors are contagious. You know, once there's one error, it's really easy for for those those plays to snowball. So I think as a pitcher, uh, you know, it's our job to not show our emotions. As tough as it is, and you know, it might be 
eating you up on the inside, right? It's our job to turn around and say, hey, so what? I know you got the next one, right? Things like that to, to pick your teammates up. Again, they carry over. So, you know, I've used the example of Coach Duke and I. If we're playing the middle infield and, and I make an error, well, it's Coach Duke's job to look at me and say, hey, what, so what, Steve? We got the next one. Let's turn two right here. Because those are the things that are going to get players to, to flush it and move on to the next pitch. Um, you know, I think breathing is key. I think slowing down. You know, I've been in games and situations where when I was going good, I wanted the ball. Right, I, I wanted the ball hit to me, and then the second I make you know, one or two errors, then all of a sudden you start to have some self-doubt, and you start to get a little bit nervous, and you know, these kids are definitely going through it. Your teammates are definitely going through it, especially if you're a good pitcher. You know, they don't want to let you down. So I think positive self-talk, I think teammates picking one another up is, is, is crucial. Um, you know, and then a funny story I have for you. I watched the Masters a couple weeks ago, and John Rahm double bogeyed number one and went on to win the whole thing. Uh, he four putted hole number one, and uh, you know he's got he's got a little kid, so he referenced Finding Nemo, and he said you just got to think like a goldfish, you know that goldfish in, in Finding Nemo had a 10 second memory, and I thought it was hilarious, but it's so true because I play golf, Coach Duke plays golf, you know if I double bogey number one, well I'm probably going to be pissed off for the next 17 holes because I'm still thinking about that one hole. It's the same way in baseball, you make an error and you let that one error carry over to the next pitch or the next inning. So think like a goldfish, 10 second memory. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you know, I think another thing that happens, it's easy is to start complaining or starting to blame others or, you know, making excuses for, "Oh man, well it was the shortstop's fault" or, you know, instead of just like Coach Steve said, breathe and kind of just reassess yourself and be like, okay, the shortstop just made a mistake, let's go. It's my turn to just start attacking the strike zone. Because once you start blaming this person or complaining about this, next you know, you usually knock yourself off your own game. And now you're throwing balls and now you're walking people and you're like, yeah, I just walked that person because, you know, there was an error at shortstop or this happened. So I think that just reinforcing that with your, with your players of, hey, Let's go, you know, and just kind of getting them to, to stay focused and have a, you know, a quick mindset. Like, like Steve said, that's just think like a goldfish. I love it. So, yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, too, is body language, like you said, is key. And you can definitely tell when the guy's out there on the mound and there's an error. They're just like, oh, man, I think even, like you said, what's really important is having the defense behind them kind of, you know, maybe call time, go out there and pat them on the back and be like, hey, man, like, we're, we got you. Defense is, is behind you because even when guys make errors, too, they're just, you know, they're sinking their head down, they're upset, they're ticked off, and it's just like, hey, like, get the next one. You know, I think I've seen a lot with my guys when a guy makes an error or, like, it kind of rebounds, like you said, everybody's quiet. Nobody's saying anything, and it's just me talking, and I kind of have to be like, guys, like, hey, talk them up here, you know, kind of kind of get back in the game because everyone just feels like they're responsible when it's a, it's a, it's a team effort, like, like you were saying. I think, I think as a coach also is we don't use our players enough to help us in those situations, right? The pitcher's struggling, we immediately call timeout, we have a mound visit. Next, you know, the shortstop makes an error, the pitcher walks a guy, and now we wanna go outside. We wanna hurry up and go rush to him again instead of having the shortstop, hey Johnny, go talk to the pitcher. He goes over, you know, or he walks, next thing you know, you're telling the catcher, hey, go calm him down a little bit. Like using the guys on the team and teaching them how to calm each other down, opposed to us as coaches constantly having to feel like, we got to be the ones to, to do that all the time, you know? So I think using your players is a good thing. I'm just going to bounce off what Duke just said there because I love that. We have a, a catcher on my team, football player, very good leader. Um, you know, he runs hot at times, but I know he's somebody that I can count on. Um, so just like Duke just said, I think us as coaches, 
sometimes we sound like a broken record saying it over and over. But when you have a leader on the team and you can identify that kid and maybe you pull him over to the side and say, listen, man, the guys are going to feed off you. They're going to feed off your body language and you, you know, picking them up or you, you know, telling somebody, you know, you better hustle down the line on that ground ball. Situations like that, they're going to they're going to start to develop that culture. And just like Duke said, you know, we don't have to be out there like we're playing a video game trying to handle every little situation, you know, teach the players what it's like to be a leader and, and take on those roles. Yeah, I think it's something else that I noticed that has been really tough for my guys on the 13U level and probably a lot of other coaches is, Duke, how do you keep the dugout fired up every inning offensively? And how do you keep the energy high throughout the game even when you're losing? Because obviously when you're winning, it's kind of easy to have that energy. But even when you're down a couple runs, it's kind of hard to keep that energy high. What are some things that you do uh, and you've seen work in the past? I think that's an interesting question because someone like myself is is more of a fireball and a, a high-energy guy. But not everybody on your team is a high-energy guy. And that doesn't mean that they're they're not as good or they're not giving effort or you know they're not trying to do what they can to help the team win they're just a much calmer person when they're when they're playing the game so i think that everybody has to know their role and we as coaches need to make sure that the players know their role know when you're on deck when you're on double deck know when you're the guy that's in the hole getting ready know that you know when you come off the field you're putting the gloves in a certain spot to where everybody kind of knows what their job and responsibility is on the field but oftentimes we also have those guys that are spark plugs that they keep the intensity up for those other guys that are intense guys right and there's there's no you know keeping your head low or feeling sorry for yourself when you get out because those high energy guys if they're the ones that are putting their heads down and feeling sorry for themselves the energy really dies really quick right so we need to make sure that the other guys are hey let's go buddy let's go we got this and all of a sudden you're kind of flipping the switch for that guy really quick because those guys that are that are up and down like a, a high energy guy like myself it's easy to when things aren't going good the energy drops low when you have some of those guys that are just even keel you know number fours just kind of chill guys they don't really go up or down they kind of just stay in the middle so i think everybody knowing each other so as a team knowing who the high eights and nines are knowing who the fours and fives are and just everybody knowing that our job is to win each inning and that if we're just because we're down two runs that doesn't mean that we have to act differently or you know do something out of the ordinary to to get runs on the board we just have to make sure that every inning everybody knows what we're doing and everybody's staying on track and everybody's giving max effort and hustling and and doing those things and not feeling sorry for themselves complaining about stuff and just kind of blaming others so i think if everybody takes on their role I think that's 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 our job as a coach is to kind of keep everybody, you know, doing do, doing what they need to do to help the team win. I think the second part of that question is the key, right? Even when you're losing, uh, I try to tell our guys all the time that regardless of the situation, regardless of the scoreboard, um, if somebody comes to watch you play, they should never be able to tell the difference whether you're you're up big, down big, or it's, or it's tied going to the last inning. You know, we we talked a couple weeks back about the Savannah Bananas and how it's almost like a match play baseball game where. You know, it's not how many runs you score throughout the game, it's how many innings you win, which I love. I love setting up mini games for our guys and, you know, trying to win the most amount of innings. More times than not, if you win a majority of the innings, you're going to win the baseball game. But when you go down 6 nothing in the first, like, like Josiah asked, it's, it's tough because a lot of kids feel defeated at that time. But if you can say, all right, 
We're down 6 nothing in the first. Let's win the next inning, one nothing, and the one after that, 2 nothing. And before you know it, you scratch and claw, and, and you're in the game at the end. But if you kind of just put your head down and sit in the dugout and wait for somebody else to make it happen, you know, that game is over. You know, we talk about top-step players all the time. You know, there's, there is no sitting on the bench. You know, the starting pitcher might go down and take a break and sit in the, you know, the corner of the dugout and stay focused. But for everybody else, you know, we're at the fence. We're on the top step of the dugout cheering on our teammates. And, uh, you know, I think teaching that at a young age is really, really important because it really starts to matter as they get older. Um, they start to do showcase events and they're looking to play college baseball or softball. You know, those coaches want players with, with good energy. And uh, one of my favorite coaches, a UConn basketball coach years ago, said, I don't have time to teach energy. You know, you're going to bring it every single day and you're going to show up with, you know, I'm here to teach the skills of, of basketball. I'm here to teach the, the, the X's and O's. I'm not here to teach you attitude and energy and, and you've got to have it. So it's our job as coaches, especially at the younger ages, to implement that, you know, that top step player, not necessarily book bulldog mentality, but you've got to bring it. You don't have to be loud and vocal, but you better be engaged in the game and, and, and paying attention to each pitch. Yeah, that's really good. I think something that I do on my team that has really helped is every single game I have two designated hype men. And what these hype men do are their responsibility is in the dugout, whether they're sitting for the inning defensively or when they're offensively in the dugout getting ready to hit. They're constantly hyping up the team. They're getting the energy high. And I like to kind of switch it up. Obviously, there's about two or three guys on my team that have higher energy than others. So they're probably going to be one of those hype men each week. But then also having some of those guys that are a little quieter, giving them an opportunity to step up and really kind of get that energy up. But I have a story about last weekend kind of talking about how to keep the dugout fired up. We were down really early, 3-0 against the team, and we pretty much had no energy the entire game. And we were trying to get the guys fired up. Next thing you know, it's a last inning. We're still down 3-0, and I kind of brought the guys together and had a little pep talk. And I was like, guys, like, there's been no energy. we got to get the energy high this inning if, if we want a chance. Sure enough, everyone stood up. We were loud, scored seven runs that last inning to win, ended up winning 7-3. So it shows you that really energy really is important. And if you don't have any, any energy, it's going to be hard to kind of keep the guys going. So that was really important. But uh, one thing I did want to ask Steve is, even for me, I jumped from the small field to the big field this past year. I've had a couple of um, you know, difficulties and some things that has been easy along the way. But what's some best advice that you would have for kids and coaches moving from the small field to the big field? Yeah, I mean, we could probably talk on this for, for a while. You know, there's a lot of changes that happen. The game's a lot slower. You know, there's not as much scoring. There's no home runs. Um, almost every play from all positions is a max effort throw, right? You know, um, you know, in the Little League field, kid throwing a ball from center field to home plate is almost the same distance on a routine ground ball from shortstop to first. Pitchers that threw hard in Little League don't throw that hard anymore because they're 10 feet further back, you know, which causes batters to be way out in front. Some hitters, it seems like it takes them 10 seconds to get down the line. So, you know, there's a lot of growing pains that go into transitioning to that 60-90 field. A couple off the top of my head, I think positioning is really important. I think players knowing where to position themselves on the field. You know, my center fielder for years, you know, there'd be a hard single up the middle and he was getting, you know, 8-3 assists. And he was throwing guys out trying to run to first base. But backing up bases is huge. You know, outfielders positioning, you know, according to what the hitter looks like. Um, infielders not playing at full depth because most time balls aren't, you know, hit, hit, you know, hard to the infielders. You know, one great story I have is, you know, I, I just call it forgetting about statistics. But one of our players years ago, Tommy Denlinger, um, he played on my 13U team. Um, I want to say he hit like, you know, 110 for the, for the season. 
And it wasn't that he wasn't a good player, right? He just wasn't developed yet. He hadn't hit puberty yet. He was skinny. He was tiny. Um, you know, he put together some really good at-bats, but the statistics didn't, t you know, didn't look great at the end of the year. And I remember, you know, we looked at Game Changer and we're picking a team for our 14U team. And, you know, I wasn't arguing with the other coaches in, uh, you know, in the in kind of our war room here after tryouts, but I was saying, listen, this kid's going to be good. He just hasn't grown yet. He's got a great swing. He's got an A-plus mentality and attitude. You know, he's a good defender. He's a second baseman right now. You know, don't worry about the statistics. And the hard part for me was in my end of the season evaluation was what the heck am I going to talk about, right? Because the numbers weren't great. Um, but what I did was I kept track of quality at bats all season. And he had over 50% quality at bats, which meant, you know, he was hitting balls hard. You know, he was working some counts deep. He had a really good two-strike approach. Uh, you know, fast forward. And now he's a really successful college baseball player, right? Looking back, we could have said, man, this kid's got no chance because he can't hit the ball out of the infield, but he continued to develop and get stronger and get faster. And, you know, now he's had a very successful college career. You know, now he's, he, he's in college and some of our guys that are visiting those college, he's kind of the, uh, you know, he, he leads them around campus. So just a really great all around story of a kid that didn't have it at 13U. Um, so don't get discouraged. There's a huge drop off you know, when kids go from 12U to 13U after that first season, because like I, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier, it's a lot slower. You know, it's not as much fun as hitting home runs on the little league field. But, um, you know, I think advice to the players would be, you know, work on your speed and agility, get stronger, get faster, um, continue to work. Uh, don't get discouraged by the numbers. Um, keep putting the work in because everybody is going to, you know, peak at different times. We've seen kids that were rock stars in little league go to the big field and, they kind of slowed down because they were always the best player. And then that, that smaller guy that was real hungry, you know, he ended up, you know, surpassing them in the long run. So, uh, yeah, I mean, keep your head down, keep working, definitely work on your speed and agility, get stronger, get faster, because all those things are going to help, you know, going from 13U, you know, then to 14U and as, as you progress towards high school. And, you know, I think as a coach, when you're looking at guys and you're watching them and you, you're, we're so quick to look at stats, right? Oh, he's hitting 110, no way am I taking this guy. Well, you don't know what kind of heart he has, how hard he plays, what he does to the rest of the team, right? Like, talking about Tommy, it was like, he's the guy that you, he was one of the first guys you're putting on that team, even though his stats weren't great, because he was a great teammate. He got everybody fired up. He never made mistakes. Like, he just, you just, you just wanted this guy on your team. And I think that, you know, coaches are real quick to just, how hard does he throw? How far does he hit? How fast does he run? Okay, I want this guy. And it, we, unfortunately, it knocks out a lot of guys that could have been good and should have been good and would have been good, but they got cut and maybe they just stopped playing because, you know, coach said I have no chance. So to you coaches out there, please make sure that you're giving an overall evaluation of what these players are and give them good, positive feedback on what they need to work on, what they are good at, because... You know, some of those intangibles are, they outweigh some of the other skill sets and, and abilities of somebody. But yeah, I thought I, that was exactly what I was going to say was what Coach Steve said about the quality at bats and making sure that what they're doing on the field is, is productive and solid. Not necessarily did he get a hit, but yep, he barreled up the baseball, but that's just as far as he can hit it. Yeah. You know, those sort of things. Is he fielding the ball clean and just can't quite reach? Okay. You know, so, uh, but yeah, that's that, that's good stuff. Yeah, I think one thing that I hear both these guys say a lot is control what you can. Controlling what you can control is really important, whether it's, you know, hitting the ball hard or having a quality at bat. 
if you've done one of those two things, if you've hit the ball hard or had a quality at bat, then you've done your job at the plate. I think I had a lot of guys on my team that hit, you know, 10, 11 home runs on the small field. And I'm like, guys, like you can't be trying to hit home runs anymore. You can't be trying to hit the ball over the fence because if you try to do that, the best thing it's going to do is probably going to be a pop-up or a deep fly ball. So I think even telling a lot of guys on my team, like, hey, when you, when you get up there to bat, make sure that you're doing your job, whether it's moving the guy over or it's just hitting the ball hard. And again, baseball is a game of failure. You're probably going to fail a lot of times. You're going to have guys that even this past weekend, I had one guy that went 0 for 3, but he had two missiles at the left fielder and then also had a really good, you know, hard hit ball the other way. But, uh, you know, he's frustrated about like, hey, you know, that's, some, that's the way some things go sometimes. But one thing I wanted to talk to Duke about was on my team, I have a lot of guys with different personalities. I have a lot of guys that are really quiet, who kind of to themselves. And I think Sometimes as a coach, you want to so bad kind of get that guy out of his shell and try to help develop him not only as a player, but as a person. And anytime, you know, you're one of those guys that are a little bit to himself or in, and is not as much of a you know, high, high energy, energy person, I think it's really hard to kind of open yourself up. And then you have guys on the opposite end that are very, very high energy and are very over the top and you kind of have to calm them down a little bit. Duke, how do you handle different personalities on your team? Because I'm sure you have guys that are like that, that are really quiet to themselves, and also guys that are just kind of over the top. Well, I think the first thing that you have to do is is get everybody in the room, get everybody on the same page, and communicate that. Because I think that a lot of kids don't realize what their optimum level is, right? They don't know that, you know, they know that they're quiet, they know they're not rah-rah, well, is something wrong with me if the other three guys are rah-rah and high-energy guys? No, that's totally fine. You know, not everybody is the same. So we actually, I did it last year with my 16U team, and it was the first time I ever did it, was I actually gave them a piece of paper, and we talked about, you know, what is your optimum level? What's the level that you feel from 1 to 10 that when you're in that zone, you play your best? And so I said I was a 7, because if I get too high, an eight or nine, I get to, you know, that, that I get way too high strung then and it's easy to go up and down and, and kind of bounce all over. So when I'm at a seven, which is a high energy part of the spectrum, like that's when I play my best. But as I was going around the room, almost the entire team was like threes and fours. And I was like, okay. And they were explaining why. And we go to our first tournament, we're in Pennsylvania, and it was my first experience of actually putting this into practice. So we're going through, we're, we're winning one nothing, everything's great, everyone's just still kind of quiet, just going through the motions, whatever. Now we're down three to one, and I'm like, so I start to elevate myself, trying to get everybody fired up, and let's go, we gotta, and then I realize that this is not the kind of team. They all just said they were threes and fours, so me hooting and hollering and trying to elevate them was not what they needed. So I just kind of went over to third base and did my thing. And next, you know, we scored two runs and we, we kept on playing. And for me, it's not the kind of coach that I am, but I played to the level of, you know, the personalities that I had. And we ended up winning the tournament and it was super fun. And But I let the, co let, let the players know themselves also what my level is. If they see me going down to a four because they're a four, they know that they have to cheer me up a little bit and get me back up to where I have to be to keep things going where it, you know. Uh, so I think that was something that, that really was helpful for me to 
understand each individual player because now I know when my number three hitter comes over and he's a level three and he comes over, my tone with him is much more like, hey, listen, that's it, let's go. Score up on this baseball, it's not, come on, let's go. You know, tapping him on the back, firing him up, chest bumping him, fist bump, like that's not what he, that, that's not what he needs. So it's just kind of knowing your guys, knowing your players. But the cool part about that was the players got to know what each other's number was. So a number three wasn't trying to get a number four to a number nine. You know, they they, they kind of knew where he, and I think like that was a cool part of coaching and a cool part where the kids were like, wow, I never even thought about this before because, you know, I, I've, I've never done it myself. And I thought it was a really interesting, I, I learned a lot by doing that. I think that's awesome. I mean, Duke says it all the time, but, um, you know, the kids are going to learn three different ways, seeing, hearing, and feeling. So everybody's different from the way they develop to their, their personality to how they handle adversity. Um, you know, I've got guys on my team that, that I can push them and I can get on them a little bit. I've got other players that I know if, if they do something wrong and I make an example of them, it's just going to fire them up to do it right. But then there's other guys on the team that if I'm going to tell them they did something wrong, it might have to be in the dugout and it might have to be one-on-one -on -one, um, because if not, they're going to be embarrassed. They're going to go into their shell. I mean, it all goes back to what Duke said, understanding your, your team and, and your players. And you know, one of my favorite things that you had mentioned before, Duke, he was coaching his 12U team, and he let the kids know ahead of time, listen, Coach Duke's going to be loud. Coach Duke's going to be yelling from the dugout. That's just my personality. It doesn't mean I'm yelling at you. It just means that I'm loud and I'm vocal, and I'm going to be you know, positioning guys from the dugout and getting guys fired up. So I think that, too, plays into it. Like, Let your guys know ahead of time, because if not, if nobody had even known Coach Duke before that game, and he's you know, yelling obviously all positive things from the dugout, I can see why kids might get nervous if, if they hadn't met you before or hadn't been around you know, that kind of energy before. Um, but I, I notice it a lot just going out to watch high school baseball games. These kids are out there and they're playing to win and they've got high energy, you know, but then they go out into, now this is more my age group, but 17U, now all of a sudden we go out to a showcase event and there's colleges there and it starts to tone down a little bit. But you watch them play high school baseball games and their energy's off the charts. They're excited. They're there. Again, whatever I can do to help my team win. And then we get there and there's college coaches sitting behind home plate. And it's like everybody wants to you know, do everything perfect. Where I, I think there's a disconnect there because coaches want players that are you know, going to play with energy and excitement and you know, kind of go all out for their team. So that's just you know, a little bit of my feedback. But again, it all bounces back to what Duke said, communicating you can never communicate enough with your guys, um, aside from just the X's and O's, but really, like Josiah asked, those personalities. You know, it makes me, it makes me laugh because yesterday I, go, I went to the Sarset Patriots game and first inning, leadoff batter watches a first pitch fastball right down the middle. I look at the third base coach, he's not doing anything. First base coach, not doing anything. Second pitch, curveball, strike two. I'm looking around, no one's doing anything. It's like, if this was a youth game, the coach would be going ballistic. What are you taking that pitch down the middle for? Then he watches strike two. What? Like, the place should have been erupting. The kid would have been so nervous because he's 0-2. Meanwhile, here we are in a pro game, and no, everyone's just chill, right? The guy ends up just lacing a base hit to left after watching a fastball down the middle. He took a nasty curveball and then took an off-speed pitch and hit it the other way, and it was like... But nobody was getting... Nobody was going crazy, and... <laughs> I was just like, I, this is what I need to say. I need to show coaches because here we are watching this game. Everyone's just kind of like, everyone knows what to do. 
You've taught your kids what to, like, they know what to do. Coach them afterwards, like, not during, in the middle, after one pitch. Like, you don't even know where that ball was. Like, and I was just, like, giggling inside. No, that's so good because I, I'm a big believer in attacking fastballs early in the count. So, you know, one of my players last year, same catcher I was talking about earlier, took a first-pitch fastball right down the middle in a, in a big situation at the end of the game. And in the back of my head, I'm saying to myself, what the hell is he taking that pitch for? And I waited until after the inning. You know, he put together a good at bat. He ended up grounding out. And I asked him, I was like, what are you looking for there? And he told me that the two guys before him, the pitcher started, off, started him off curveball, so he was looking curveball, which is fine, right? He, he had an approach. He had a plan. It didn't work out. Like, you know, so me waiting until after the inning to just talk to him instead of saying, what are you doing taking that first pitch fastball? I asked, what were you looking for there? Or what was your approach? And he had a good answer for me, and boom, patted him on the back. He went out and caught the next inning, and, and we move on. And most likely, if you jumped all over him after the first pitch, he then swings at the next pitch just because he's pissed off yep. and doesn't even and just gets fired up and swings at the next pitch no matter what. And now you're like, now despite what you're saying, he's mad, you're mad, and it's like, <laughs> but handling it the right way of waiting, talking, oh, that's a good answer, all right, cool. I think one thing that I know Duke talked about in a previous video was what kind of coach do you want to be? And I think for me... I always ask myself that, especially every single year that starts up. I know a lot of us have just started our season, and I had to kind of ask myself that again. What kind of coach do I want to be? And I think for me, I've kind of realized that I want to be a role model, a coach that encourages mentors and kind of makes the game fun. I've only coached a couple weekends the, so far this season. It's only been about three weeks into the season, and every single weekend I've been in, I've seen coaches who are yelling, cursing, treating the umpires with disrespect. And, you know, I always try to tell the kids, like, hey, like, guys, that's not me. I'm going to, you know, make sure that that's not the kind of coach that I'm going to be and that I want you guys to to not look at the, the other way that these coaches are but kind of see how, how, how I'm handling this situation. And I, I always try to keep my cool, respect the umpires and, and the other coaches. And I think teaching the kids to respect the game, respect the umpires, is also going to tell them, hey, like, if you respect these umpires and you respect the game, the game's going to respect you. The umpires are going to respect you. And I think, you know, for me, I, I want to be the kind of coach that kids want back the next year, not a coach that the kids are like, ah, like, I don't want to have, you know, coach, coach, you know, whoever back. I think that was one thing that is, was enjoyable for me is I coached these guys last year. And so many of them were like, hey, like, I want, you know, him back as a coach. And I think that's just been really exciting to have these guys back because then when you coach a team for more than one year, you're able to really build these relationships with these players and are able to help them not only on the field but off the field because for me when I'm coaching these guys I'm not only trying to make them better ball players I'm trying to make them better better men and better you know boys so that whenever they go home they're going to be you know learning from these experiences and kind of take it to to the real real life outside of baseball. I think that's an awesome thing that you said because a lot of coaches don't think of what kind of coach they want to be or if they do like you did you know what are you doing to help keep yourself accountable for that, right? You want to be a coach that, you know, that mentors and is a role model. And I know every weekend I go through my, my list of my 11 guys and how they did offensively, defensively, that sort of thing. And then I write down, like, what could I have done better as a coach? Like, what could I have prepared the team with better after seeing what happened? Maybe we, did, we need to work better on or, or work more on first and third plays or, darn, we had runners on first and second and that guy on first base had such a monster lead, but... We don't have a backdoor pick, you know, for the guys, so they're not 
they weren't ready for it. I knew we could have done it, but so now you're using that to be like, okay, that's bettering your, you know, yourself as a coach and bettering the players, but also keeping yourself accountable for being the kind of coach that you want to be. So I think it's always good to, you know, the checks and balances of, or man, you know what? I yelled at so-and-so and I didn't give him a chance. I got to, I got to check myself and make sure that next time to practice, I take him to the side and be like, you know what? The other day when you struck out and I kind of lost a little bit, I, I'm sorry about that. I, sh I shouldn't have done that. So I think that's, that's important for coaches to keep themselves accountable for the, the type of coach that they want to be. I think um, one thing that I've learned too is with a, with a lot of these seasons starting out, the past couple weeks, I had the opportunity to travel to Montgomery and New Providence. These are cities in New Jersey here and be able to help run practices and help these T-ball and these different teams that are young be able to learn how to teach their kids how to field, how to throw, how to hit. And I think learning how to really work with these kids and learning how to manage them appropriately is really, really tough. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned is, you know, setting up shorter stations, setting up, breaking up the kids into smaller groups is going to be able to really help these kids be able to, to, to stay focused and have fun and be able to really utilize what you have. And I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned, despite the age, is having equipment that you can use despite the, the weather. I know we talk a lot about smush balls here. These are really good things that I was able to teach kids how to throw how to field, how to catch, how to hit. And I even bring these to practice with me at 13U when I've been to a lot of fields recently that there's no batting cages. So having the smush balls has been great to be able to, to hit and even to work on pop-ups, throwing whatever. I think it's always good to come to the field prepared no matter what the weather because you don't really know what you're, you're, you're going to expect. So when you're, going, when you're going to these little leagues for the first time and you're seeing the coaches for the first time, a lot of these coaches are first-time coaches. They have no idea what to do. They're going out there because their, their son or daughter said, hey, Daddy, will you, will you be my coach? So now you have a guy that's, you know, he's coaching a 7U team and he's never coached before. What are some of the drills? What were some of the things that you found to be effective for those coaches? Yeah, I think... Anytime you're with coaches that have never coached before, really giving them really good drills that are easy to teach the kids. So what, what we do is breaking them up into probably four or five different drills with these smush balls, like teaching them the, you know, the, the fielder's triangle, about hop up on the skateboard or hop you know, to the right, getting those elbows up, throwing, and teaching the kids really the proper way to throw you know, with their fingertips, not with their elbow. And just making the parents aware that this is stuff that you can use at home, you can do anywhere. And I think, like you said, a lot of these guys are volunteers. They've never done this before. So even for, for me as a coach, being able to go there and help these guys for the first time figure out how to teach their kids is, is great. And I think a lot of this stuff, too, was fun to be able to show the kids, like, hey, you guys can do this on your own at home. You don't have to do this at practice. You can you know, practice throwing a ball off the wall and you know, hopping up on that fielder's triangle and, and just learning how to throw and, and hit. And I think it doesn't really matter where, where you're at. You should be able to get your reps in. I think the, the biggest advice I have for coaches that age is just make it fun and ask questions and reach out if, if, if you have any, any questions. I know there's a lot of resources online. I know we have different kinds of communities here on, on Facebook and other places that you know, coaches can ask questions. And I think it's always better to ask than to not know. I've been working a lot with Montgomery Little League as well. And it was funny because we had a great first week of practice. So, you know, myself, um, three other coaches here, we go out to Montgomery, we're training their teams, we're training their coaches. And then, um, you know, the one coach at the end of practice looked at me and said, so you guys are going to be here again next week? And I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, great. 
So then we showed up the next week and he wasn't there, right? Because we were going to run the training for them. But, you know, I think coaches, anytime we have an opportunity to learn, um, you know, we're there to, to assist them in, in running practices because, you know, we're not going to be there with them all the time. Um, we're not going to be there with, with them on weekends. So like Josiah mentioned earlier, you know, creating stations, um, you know, breaking them up into small groups, really just having fun and being efficient at your practices are the key to, to keeping those 12 kids and making sure that those 12 kids sign up the next year. You know, so then the following week he came back and I threw him right into the fire. You know, I gave him a station and, and he was running that specific station. So I think, you know, anytime you're a part of these coaches clinics or, you know, any kind of training, don't take a backseat. Ask questions, dive right in, um, because then you're going to leave um, with the confidence that you can do it on your own. But, um, you know, I, I love doing stuff like that. We, we love the coaches clinics here. That's what gave us the reason to, to create Dominate the Diamond in the first place. Um, what was our coaches clinics and uh, you know we just see every year there's so much so many inexperienced coaches that have never done it before with so much to learn um, you know and that, that kind of what it's what drives us on a day-to-day awesome well Josiah thanks so much for for being on the podcast we really appreciate it those are some some great questions that I think that all the listeners out there have a lot of those same exact questions you know how to start from scratch how to keep guys engaged how to keep them pumped up during the game all those things so so thanks thanks so much uh there you have it the get zoned in podcast duke baxter with steve nickerack we'll see you next time thanks for listening